Welcome back to the analysis.news. This is a continuation of my conversation uh, with Larry Wilkerson uh, as the year ends. Uh, please don't forget the donation if you haven't and you're watching and you want to donate, that'd be great. In the U.S., we are a 501c3. Uh, you can share and subscribe and all that stuff. And we'll be back in just a few seconds with Larry. President Biden recently held his uh, democracy conference or whatever it was called, something like that, where he invited a whole bunch of countries that un under their definition, the White House definitions are democracies. Uh, of course, a lot of questions could be raised about who got invited. But that being said, one of the quote unquote invitees, I, sh I was about to say countries, except they're not, was Taiwan. Uh, and what business did Taiwan have to be there. Yeah, they have elections and so on. But even uh, according to U.S. law and U.S. diplomacy, Taiwan is supposedly part of one China. So what is it doing at a conference of countries? Uh, so other than to raise uh, the level of tension with China. Um, so now joining us again to discuss the, the situation in China and Taiwan is Larry Wilkerson, who's a retired professor who used to be chief of staff to Colin Powell at the State Department, and he's a good friend and regular on the analysis. Thanks for joining us again, Larry. Good to be with you, Paul. So, so what do you? This invitation is not a one-off. Uh, they've been making other moves in some of the UN agencies. Uh, they're talking about increasing even more arms sales to Taiwan. Uh, they're getting closer and closer to essentially crossing a line that clearly is, is a line that will be the most provocative thing the United States could do with China, which come very close to recognizing Taiwan as an independent entity. I mean, in many respects, they actually really do, uh, short of a formal declaration of independence. And it almost you know, seems like they're heading in that direction. Uh, this is Trump-esque in its level of provocation. Uh, what, what, what's going on with Biden? I would say it's Bush-esque, as in George W. and Richard Cheney-esque, and Donald Rumsfeld-esque. They started when Chen Shui-bian was uh, the president of Taiwan and wanted to hold a referendum for independence and came very, very close to doing it. And with the strong encouragement of Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Um, so it's not something new. The newness of it is perhaps the fact that China has progressed. And when I say they progressed, they're much more powerful today than they were in 2002, 2003. Powerful in the sense that, for example, what Bill Clinton did by putting a carrier in the Taiwan Strait would never happen today. No American sailor is gonna take a carrier into the Taiwan Strait. Too provocative, and it might be provocative to the point where it wound up in Davy Jones' locker. So the situation has really changed in that sense. But in the sense of stupidity and crassness and very poor diplomacy, the United States seems intent on topping the world again and again and again. And Taiwan is just another example. Now, I was there for a lot of the early shenanigans, if you will, over Taiwan. I was at Pacific Command under Bill Crow, and then I was uh, under Ron Hayes, and then I was, of course, under Powell when he was chairman. And yes, every now and then we we have to assert ourselves a bit and and do this or do that that shows that we're still hanging around holding Taiwan's coat. 
And you could say that this invitation to the Democratic convention or whatever, not, you know, the credentials I would question at that convention are America's, (laughs) incidentally. Uh, But, and some, some of my colleagues from around the world sent me emails to that effect too. (laughs) How dare you even hold a conference on democracy? Looking at 6th January, are you? Uh, But anyway, um, you have to do these sorts of things. And China does them from time to time, too, on the other side of the scales in order to let the other side know you're still alive and you still care. Uh, But you don't do it provocatively. You don't do it the way Donald Rumsfeld did, for example, try to send himself to Taipei to talk with his counterpart in Taipei. That was on the on the burner till Powell killed it. so I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem is, is doing it inexpertly, doing it constantly and taking it well beyond the art of the deal, which is what we have with China. We have this tacit bargain that China recognizes Taiwan as part of China and we recognize Taiwan as something, if it's made part of China by force, we'll fight over. And that's the tacit bargain. And it's worked for so long, and it's just really stupid to cast it aside without anything to put in its place except bellicosity that's going to be rewarded with a massive defeat in the first confrontation. Defeat for the United United States. States. Well, the United States can't accept a defeat over Taiwan. No, it won't. So then it'll go nuclear. It'll go nuclear. It'll up the ante and go nuclear. Which in 1958... uh, uh, people have seen my interview with Ellsberg about this. Uh, Ellsberg has this still classified document that he's waving around, uh, challenging someone to come charge him for talking about publicly. Uh, but they, so far, so they haven't. Um, but in it, it's there's this conversation. I believe it's uh, the minutes of a meeting of the Joint Chiefs that was uh, the document is in 1964, studied by Mac, uh, commissioned by McNamara about what happened in, in the crisis in 1958 over Taiwan. And one of the generals, essentially, they say to each other, a nuclear war would be better than losing prestige and strategic positioning in Asia. Yeah. <laughs> and that logic, you know, well, I, I guess it's still their logic. It was still there with uh, Walt Rostow and McGeorge Bundy and the group around LBJ. Um, he kept using, McGeorge Bundy kept using the word prestige. Prestige, which Dean Atchison called the shadow of power. I kind of like Dean's approach to it better than Bundy's. But Bundy's idea was, okay, 59,000 Americans did. That's all right, because we we fought for prestige. This is a very dangerous concept. (laughs) Yeah, Curtis LeMay used to say, well, to defend our prestige, even 10 or 20 million dead Americans wasn't too many. And of course, he was grossly underestimating. And the other thing, to defend American prestige back in Curtis LeMay's day, it was okay to wipe out Europe because maybe Amer- the Russians or the Soviets couldn't reach more than 20 million Americans, but they could have essentially wiped out the whole of Western Europe. But hell, American prestige is more important than that. Yeah, I think it was Bertrand Russell in a sort of Oscar Wilde moment who said, uh, prestige doesn't keep you very warm in the grave. <laughs> well, then, then how much of this artifact about prestige and all that is internalized kind of the identity of 
these cold warriors, and I believe it must be a large part of that. But underlying it is these tensions just make so much damn money. We talked about this in our other interview about the Ukraine. But the military-industrial complex in the United States, and I have to say the military-industrial complex in China, are both doing very well out of all this. Yes, yes, and that's one of the scary things about recent developments. I was in China in 2009 for a petroleum disruption exercise, which was quite uh, quite a good simulation. We had lots of countries there. Um, and I was amazed at how the foreign ministry, um, which was, you know, there were Intel people there too, but it was mostly foreign ministry people. I was amazed at how they sort of stood back uh, from the military, uh, in a, not in a sense of all, but in a sense of uh, uh, dullards, you know, we really, we we really are the are the people who run this country. You know, you aren't. That's changed now, and it's reflected in so many things. Even in the writing, the, the novels that sneak out of China from time to time, um, the military is triumphant now, and they've taken the people along with them. It's it's almost like what Powell did with the first Gulf War. He renewed America's love affair with the military after mm -hmm. Vietnam. You know, the love affair really soured. Um, and I'm not sure it was ever a love affair. Yeah, had to be after World War II to a certain extent. Um, and, and, and it built up now to where it, it, it just got all out of hand. I'm, I'm very happy to see recent polling showing that the American people find the military slipping a bit in their estimation. Still in the 70s, but it was in the 75, 78, 79, 80 range. It's slipping a little bit now. Afghanistan, no doubt, did some damage to it. Should have done a lot of damage to it. Brain dead people in Afghanistan for 20 years. But it's it, it's scary with China because the Politburo now has its own deal, its own problem, its own challenge. <laughs> and and, and you've got to satiate these people. you you got to give them what they want from time to time. And from time to time, you've probably got to give them more. It's scary. It's very scary because, as Mao used to say, hey, we got at that time almost a billion people. Now they got 1.4, 1.5 billion people. We could take a lot of casualties. The uh, you, you get a chance to talk to a lot of members of Congress, uh, present and former military. Um, when you listen to the, the language coming out of much of the Democratic Party, pretty much all the Republican Party. It's at the level, I mean, the anti-China language. Jack Reed it's scared at, me to death. It's at the level of the worst of the 1950s Cold War anti-Soviet stuff. Like it's, if anything, it's actually at a higher level. Do they actually believe this stuff? I mean, it's ridiculous. $768 billion, Paul, and Jack Reed cheering it right along. $768 billion. That's about $100 billion of pure pollution. Pure pollution. It gets in their brains and waters them. Just look at look at what they're doing right now with this uh, business of uh, the vaccinations. Now, now they're saying they're going to force 50,000 plus sailors, soldiers, airmen, and Marines out for refusing vaccinations. They're going to force them out. And the Congress said a language in the NDAA about this now, this year's budget, 
language says they got to give them honorable discharges. Well, this is because they don't want them to flock straight away to Trump's legions. They don't want January 6th repeat, you know, to be fueled by 50,000 ready soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. Well, let, well let, let's have a whole nother conversation about that because I want to get back to China. Well, it's all about China, <laughs> too, because how are we going to fight China, Paul? How, this bellicose rhetoric and everything, how is this country going to fight China? There's only one way, nuclear weapons. How do you explain people like who are who are rel in the Democratic Party, uh, who are relatively progressive on most issues and have all the anti-China uh, rhetoric, virulent anti-China rhetoric as any Republican? Do they believe this stuff? I mean, or they're doing it because they they're trying to they don't want to be critiqued for being weak on China or what? what the hell is it? I think that's the principal reason. That's the principal reason. When I had an hour-long conversation with Reed, we started out talking about- Tell, the tell people who Reed is. Uh, Jack Reed's the West Point graduate, long-serving senator now from Rhode Island. Um, and, and Jack is a Democrat and he's from Rhode Island. <laughs> and yet I, I didn't meet anyone over there who was more adamant about the defense budget and it having to go up rather than down or flat or whatever. We're now giving the military more money than we've given them in any single year since the peak of World War II. More than Ronald Reagan's 1980 buildup, the early 80s buildup, more than the Vietnam War, more than the Korean War. And what have they done lately? Lost, 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 lost. Now, part of that's the stupid wars the civilian leadership sent them on. But they went willingly and said, can do, can do, can do. Send me some more troops and some more money and I'll can do it even more. Yeah, yeah, but um, you're you're missing a one very important and glorious victory for the American military. You mean the Grenada. first World War? Grenada. Oh, Grenada. <laughs> I don't even hey, count that. They, they, they were able to that. actually change the government there. I think yeah, that's the they, one, the actual one use of, of military power yeah. that quote well, unquote worked. Uh, but it is the use that was studied hard because it was such incompetence and it produced Goldwater Nichols, the 1985-86 uh, Reorganization Act, because it was so poorly done. It was the feeble enemy that made us victorious. But the first Gulf War was a, a victory. It was a victory. So go, go, back, go, back, go back to Reed again. Well, uh, I, I, why, I think why why I, does he think China is such a problem, or does he just, you know, he wants his piece of the military budget? Like I, like I think that's it. I, I think you've got to have your piece of the military budget. You've got to show bona fides in national security. It's not a traditional strong point of the Democrats, um, which is stupid. Harry Truman was a Democrat, uh, but. Uh, that's part of it. And part of it is, I think, and I don't know if this is true with Jack, I'd have to go back and look at the chart. Bill Hartung sent me a, a, a chart recently that shows all the money and exactly whom it came from and to whom it went. Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Boeing, and all those people and the Senator or Representative getting it on the receiving end. I don't know if he's heavy into that, but it's a combination of all these things that you you don't think you can get reelected unless you are strong on defense. You are getting money in your packs from defense contractors. 
you genuinely feel like America's losing its way and China's the reason. All of these things combine. I think for Jack, it's all of them. It's not just purely the complex giving him money or whatever. As it is, I think, for some of the more uh, crass members, like the guy from Oklahoma who brought a snowball into the Senate <laughs> to disprove I, climate change. I was watching an interview, David, from uh, the right wing now pundit or whatever the hell he was, but he actually was one of Bush's speechwriters. He's credited yeah. with the axis of evil line. I'm not sure it was his, yeah. but that's, he gets credit for it. But certainly a, was a hardcore neocon. I don't know exactly what he is yeah. now. David was a member of the group that I belong to called the uh, Transition Integrity Project. You know, he was one of the guys in there that was helping us plan for the worst in the 2020 elections. Um, I think he's seen a little light since the Bush administration. He was interviewing another big neocon uh, a few months ago. Um, and I, I, sh I should get this guy's name because I can't remember, but he's a very senior, one of the big neocon brains. And he was talking about how terrible the strategy is uh, in terms of dealing with China. And not that he didn't want a hostile strategy towards China. He just thought the current strategy was pretty bad. And he talked about how aircraft carriers are actually totally useless because both the Chinese and the Russians can knock out an aircraft carrier now with, with ease. Yep. Yet they're building, I think, uh, something like 12 or 13 new Ford-class aircraft carriers at about 14 to 15 billion each. Which um, makes no sense. Which makes no sense, but everybody in on it is, a lot of is people so get conscious. Money yeah, that a lot of people. They all know it's, and everyone in on it knows it's bullshit. And if you're going to hit some Syria or you're going to hit some Iran or some you know country that doesn't have a really formidable military, you sail right up with that carrier and pound them. But if you're going to hit Russia or you're going to hit uh, China with sometimes double and even triple sea skimming, hyper missiles high altitude, low altitude missiles, 65 centimeter Wacoming torpedoes, diesel submarines, nuclear submarines. You're going to hit somebody like that, your aircraft carrier is no good at all. In fact, it's a, it's a sailing tomb. And if you do want to sail it right up to the border of a country that doesn't have the ability to knock out your aircraft carrier, you don't need a $14 billion Ford Crest. No. Ford class air, you got no. what you got is plenty. You don't need anything yeah. new. You could put a marine, uh, uh, you could put a marine amphibious ready group on the shore, push in a little bit, build an airfield, and fly off the airfield. <laughs> <laughs> Such a scam. I just hope we, we can get workers and others who are buying this defense of American freedom, it's all national security how much they're being scammed by all of this it is a terrible it, it's a terrible scam on the american people because they think they're getting security and they're not just look around you and see what's tearing you up covid 19 just look around you and see what really bled you dry for the last 20 years stupid wars in libya syria iraq afghanistan and a whole bunch of other places i can't mention um that's what's tearing you up if, you know, what is an aircraft carrier going to do to COVID-19? Spread it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Talk about super spreading events. They they probably aren't letting us know just how bad it may be on some of these subs and aircraft carriers. Um, we, we had a little brouhaha there for a while, but it seems to have subsided now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that they're really, with respect to the Navy, I'm assuming that they're really pushing the vaccinated troops hard, really mm -hmm. hard in order to try and keep from breaking out again. Right. So we look ahead to 2021. Uh, it's Biden is so weak. Uh, if he ever had any intention of a better foreign policy, the, the, the Democrats, and I'm, I don't know that he actually does or did, but let's say there's some people in the Democratic Party that would like a saner foreign policy. Um, we're looking now at it's a likelihood that the Republicans might be in charge of, uh, of the Senate, the House. Uh, so you, it's like a perfect storm. And I don't, you know, talking about a perfect storm for the Democrats, it's a perfect storm for the world. Where both on, on the military side and the climate, you get climate deniers controlling at, all they need is one house. Never mind both, and and two if they have the presidency. And Jesus, it's, it's bloody a uh, scary situation. And you have there because I'm relatively familiar with the way the Chinese think, having been in the Central Party School and in that simu petroleum simulation. We actually had the person who was really running the school at that time. Um, it had been Hu Jintao, and then he'd, he'd been elevated to be president um, at dinner a number of times and talking with them. So I think I know a little bit about how how they think about matters like this. And, and the Russians, I think I've, I've got some in, insight into, not like Jack Matlock, but I do have some. And I've got to tell you, they're not stupid. So, and they have superb intelligence. So they're sitting back. We're going to kill ourselves, Paul. They don't want a war with us. Neither China nor Russia wants a war with us. We're killing ourselves. We're destroying our own democracy. We're doing it the exact way Lincoln predicted we'd do it if we ever did it. We're killing ourselves. If I were in Beijing or Moscow, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. I'd exacerbate it as much as I could, you know, like they are doing. But I wouldn't want an open war because that might revive us. Well, it's pretty stupid on their part to exacerbate it as well, because I agree. Uh, this is it's going to be chaos for everybody, <clears throat> mostly on the climate side. So, yep, and and there there you put your finger on the big issue. If we don't cooperate, at least minimally cooperate, in order to meet this train wreck that is going to train wreck. It's not a train wreck. It's a colossal disaster threatening the existence of the human race. Not the planet. The planet will get over it and go right on. Develop some new form of sentient life, maybe. But it'll get rid of us. If we don't do something together to do something ameliorative about that, not just adaptive, don't just build seawalls and retreat to the inner parts of our countries and so forth, but do something that ameliorates the situation, that is, stop burning fossil fuels primarily we're toast anyway and people got to get that through their head you know they watch these 
they watch these what 200 tornadoes rip through Kentucky and Tennessee. And it's like, you know, the news goes out and says, whoa, you know, let's interview these people and everything. And you see these heart-rending stories on the television. And that's good for the media to do that, especially local media. But who's out there saying, wow, wonder if this has anything to do with the changing climate? Yes. And guess what? It's going to get a lot worse. All right. Thanks for joining us, Larry. Thanks for having me, Paul. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news. Please don't forget uh, that if you can donate by the end of the year, that'd be great. You get a tax receipt in the United States. Uh, subscribe and share and push what we're doing out there. Uh, as I've mentioned before, YouTube seems to be doing everything they can uh, to suppress what we're doing. Uh, but you can go to the website and at the analysis.news and let people know about it. Thanks again.